Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, good morning. And it's great to see you all here today. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Jairus, and I pastor our Cedar Rapids campus, and I'm just really glad to get to share with you today. We're going to be concluding our series, Passages. And just maybe just by a show of hands, how many of you have enjoyed this series, Passages, this summer? Yeah, it has been so awesome to get to hear as we look at the Word of God. I'm a big fan of the Bible. I think this is a pretty safe place to say something like that, right? Uh, but over the last several years, I have just grown to love the Bible. And so it's been really sweet to get to hear different passages of Scripture from different people as You've, as a lot of our staff have lived this, maybe this has been a passage that has become a life verse or something like that, that has, we got to look at it and share it together this summer. So I've been really enjoying that. Uh, and I'm excited today as we bring it to a close uh, to kind of just frame today with, with this idea. I, I heard this recently that you either, you either believe what you read or you read what you believe, Right? You either believe what you read or you read what you believe. For instance, we take things and we, we read them from our lens, our, our own point of view, the, thing, the ways that we've seen things before. And so when we go to something to read it, we're looking for it to affirm our previous beliefs and worldview. But one of the amazing things as followers of Jesus and as what we've even done in this series, as we come and we look at passages of scripture, is we're able to say, hey, this is trustworthy. I can trust what this Bible says and I can now begin to put it into action so we can believe what we read. We can let it challenge us. We can let it form us. And so thank you so much for being here today, for making this a part of your week, for making this a part of your morning, to come under the authority of scripture and say, Lord, would you speak to me today? And I believe he's going to do that because we're going to conclude the series by uh, looking at one of the most famous passages in all of scripture, which is Psalm 23. Now, some of you just hearing that already got excited because you, you already have a, a plaque of Psalm 23 at home, right? You've got it hanging up somewhere or a poster or something that's in the background of your phone. Or maybe you're like me and recently you just discovered it. You're like, well, this thing is actually like really good. I want to see why people have been so excited about this. But I, I'm, I'm excited to look at it. It's debatably one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture because it is a masterpiece. And uh, I, it's so, in fact, it is so good that today I could, I could preach it from the King James Version with all the these and the thous and the yeas, and you would still be like, yeah, that thing is still good, right? No, I'm sorry. If, you're, if, you're, if you just got excited about me using the King James Version, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. But I will use the new King James Version today because I think it's the most familiar one to us. It's the one we know the best, but... Uh, so if you got your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 23. If you got your phone, pull it up in front of you. I think it's really sweet to have the Word of God in front of us. I think it does something to get us in a little bit deeper, a little further, take it home with you. But uh, as we do this today, before we actually get into the passage, I wanted to kind of share with you a little bit about my last week uh, to maybe frame with you where my head's at today. So two weeks ago, I went to camp with our youth and had an awesome time. And we had a blast. I went with Alyssa and I went with Raphael. And we just, it was, it was a very crazy week. Camp is like nothing else that, that you can really, I can really put words to. But um, it was a blast. We had a ton of fun. But it was also just like God did some really amazing things. We just saw God touching lives. We saw God setting students free from things and, and really calling them to a place of relying on him and trusting in him like they haven't before. And so it's really amazing. So I came back from camp and I was just 
full of faith, just incredibly excited about, about what God was doing, but also excited about the next generation and how God was working in and through them. But on top of that, I came back and I had no voice at all and I had swimmer's ear, okay? So these are like two wonderful gifts to come back from camp with. And uh, I have not had swimmer's ear in a very long time. And I basically came back and I was like, man, you know, go swimming with, with kids in the pool. And that's what you get, right? You get swimmer's ear. But I, I was going back and looking through all the pictures and videos and stuff. And Raphael took a video uh, of me during one of the games. And I think that this is the moment where I got swimmer's ear this week, okay? This is in the mud pit uh, during uh, Steal the Bacon, okay? And I'm pulling on the tube, and this, this is the mud splash that will come and will go directly into my right ear, giving me the swimmer's ear. This is, this is my speculation. But this is what I think happened. Is, and so if you want the full video, you can ask me later, okay? <laughs> but essentially what happens, if you don't know, swimmer's ear is essentially when you get water trapped in your ear, and then it essentially turns to infection and your ear swells. And so for me this last week, it's been, it's been pretty painful, but it's also been like, I have not been able to hear anything out of this ear, okay? It's been a disaster. And so everybody I'm talking to, they say to me, I say, what? And I have to like turn to this side. Like, can, can you say it again? Uh, but as much pain as it's been for me or for those that I've had conversations with, it's been exponentially harder on my poor wife. Okay, because let me frame this for you. Let me kind of give you a picture of what this has been like. I, I have, like those that have gone before me, I have a wonderful gift called selective hearing. Okay, I think it instantly comes when you become a dad, right? You're like, yeah, I got that thing. Okay, it, essentially what happens is there's certain things that I just don't hear. Okay, I don't hear the, the boys fighting or I don't hear my wife asking what I think about paint colors or, or worst of all, I don't hear... <laughs> Babies in the middle of the night, okay? So if you, are in, if you have newborns or you're about to and you want this gift, dads, just talk to me. I'll, I'll tell you how to get it and then your wife can be as mad at you as she, my wife is at me. Um, so I do a lot of problems, but I'm working on it, okay? We have baby number three coming. And so uh, with that being said, so I've got this, this gift of selective hearing and you put on top of that the fact that I legitimately cannot hear out of my right ear and you have my wife's last week. So what's happened is essentially, we, there's, and the thing is, when you think about my right ear, every time we're in the car and she tries to say something to me, I, I, I either don't hear her or just I'm like, rrr, rrr, rrr. and so I'm like, so the way she would probably describe it is like, you know, like when you put headphones on a toddler and, and, and they're like, what? Like that, that's what it's been like every time she tries to say something to me in the car. Or I've also noticed that anytime there's noise on in the room, so if there's music playing or if there's a show on in the background, I basically can't understand anything that anyone is saying. And so I just feel like I'm just kind of lost standing there. In, in, in darkness. But the worst thing of all for my wife this week is that I do not think I've heard my alarm once this week, okay? So every morning that my alarm is going off, I'm getting punched like, dude, your alarm is going off. You have to get up. And so pray for my wife. But I've also noticed this this last week, and this is kind of where I wanted to land with this, is that anytime that I'm having a conversation with someone, I really have to focus, I really have to pay attention to what they're saying because if there's any other really noise or, or distractions, I find it's very hard to actually understand what they're saying. So what I found is I'm giving my undivided attention in conversations, that I'm not multitasking or I'm not doing other things. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at them. I'm reading their lips when they're talking to me and I'm, so that I can understand what they're actually trying to say or I'm doing this, right? I'm like, say it one more time. Um, so that's been what I've, I've been doing. And what I've noticed with this and as I've been preparing for this message, I feel like God just kind of put a spotlight on that picture for me this last week. And the most regular prayer that I pray over my boys is, Lord, let your voice be the loudest voice in their ears. 
Lord, let your voice be the voice that they hear most clearly. And I, I know this. I know that they are, that messaging is getting to them. I know that the, 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 their little ears are picking things up day after day, that they are learning and forming a worldview based on the messages that they're hearing. But what I'm really praying when I pray that is, is I know that messages may even be louder. There may be certain things, that more screen time for them that they're hearing. But what I'm really praying is, Lord, let them be attuned to your voice. Let them know your voice and be attuned to it and hear it. And this has been my prayer for this morning, that we would lean in, that we would focus, that we would focus on Jesus in in, in a crowded room to understand what he's speaking to us, to turn the subtitles on, for lack of better terms, to get on the edge of our chair, to find ways to get alone with Jesus, to focus on what he's saying. And and as I've thought about this and I've thought about this picture, I, I really felt like I need to share this morning that maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you're checking it out, kind of figuring out what it looks like to do this. Or, or maybe even you're here, but you've got enough wounds and enough pain and enough discouragement and confusion that you really are not, you've kind of cut yourself off from trying to listen to the voice of Jesus. And I guess this is, would be my encouragement to you today, that God is not a God of confusion, but he is a God of mystery, Right? He's not a God of confusion, and I guess my distinction would be this, is that confusion is meant to cause chaos and meant to push you away, meant to make you not understand, but, but mystery is an invitation to look closer. It's an invitation to lean in and to listen more closely. And if, if we could understand God fully, he wouldn't be God, but he's, there's mystery to him. And so I, I just believe that what he's asking, what he's calling us to today is to lean in, to focus on him, to to get a little closer, to look a little deeper and see, God, what is it that you're speaking to me today? And as we do that, I believe that he's gonna encourage us and we believe he's gonna lift us up, challenge us and point us back to him. So with that being said, let's go ahead and look at this passage of scripture in Psalm 23 and let God speak to us. And I'm, honestly, I'm just gonna let you know, I'm just gonna try and do my best to not get in the way of this thing today, okay? It's so good. But I'm gonna try and just uh, see what God has to say to us. So Psalm 23, verses one through six, I'm gonna read it in the New King James Version. This is what it says. It says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, everybody say amen. So this psalm, like I said, it's really, it's a masterpiece of writing. It's a masterpiece of understanding God. And it's written by David. And most likely this would have been recited by him. Uh, The context for this would be 1 Samuel 22. And David, if you know the story, he's kind of, he's on the run. He's running from Saul. And in this moment, scholars believe that he's actually in the forest of Hereth. And David is being pursued by Saul and his men. So if you know the, the, the story, essentially what's happening here is Saul is the king of Israel and he's a man who's kind of become overcome and overrun with this zeal and this desire for power and his own legacy. And in so doing so in his reputation that he has now had these pretty significant failures that have distanced him from God, distanced him from what God is wanting to do. And so God has now chosen that David is the man for the job. David is a man after God's own heart. And so Saul being so consumed with saying no to him, he's going after David to stand against God so he can protect his own legacy. 
So in doing so, he's chasing after David. But David, however, is a hero in Israel. This is the, the young boy who slayed the giant Goliath when he was just young with a sling and five stones. And then he, he, was a, he led armies as a young man winning battle after battle. He's, and then uh, now he's a man who's on the run for his own life. I almost imagine David being with his men in, in this forest and it's come with some of his closest guys and they're sitting there and they're talking and they're kind of talking about what's going on. They're maybe strategizing of what's next and what they're going to do. And David is just sitting there just discouraged. And I imagine that he almost walks away to say, hey guys, I just need a little bit of space. And he's walking there and he's, he's in the forest. I imagine him having a conversation with God where he's saying the kind of things that we see David articulate in, in some of the Psalms. Where David is articulating legitimately how he feels. Just saying things like that, that we read like, why, God, why have you forsaken me? Or asking God to, to take out his enemies that are in pursuit of him. Or in these moments where it's like these feelings of, God, I feel like you've called me to this. I feel like you asked me to do this, and now I don't see or feel you in this moment. He lets it all out, just kind of letting God know exactly where he's at. And I imagine that at the point that he finally stops talking, I imagine that God begins to speak to him. And I believe God directs his thoughts and his perspective back to certain memories in his lifetime, where he's face-to-face with his history with God. And David is reminded of these specific moments. He's reminded of the thrill that came after he defeated Goliath. The, the fear that led up to that moment, but he stood and he, and he, he took a stand and he, and, he, and he defeated Goliath. And he imagined the, the, the roar of, of the army of Israel behind him celebrating what God had just done before him. I imagine him being reminded of the day that a prophet named Samuel showed up at his house out in the country and said no, that none of his older brothers were the man that God had chosen, but he called him in from the field and said, this is the man. Then he remembered the feeling of the, of the oil, the anointing oil going over his head, saying that God has chosen me for the task at hand. He remembers the days when he was a shepherd out in his father's field. The days where he was out there protecting the sheep and a bear would come out of the woods It says that David fought and killed that bear, that God was with him in each of these moments. And he's reminded of each of these things. He remembers the stories of God's faithfulness and it leads him to a place where he speaks, not based on what he just sees right here and now, but what he sees deeper than that. Imagine him coming back to the fire and sitting down and his men are curious, wondering what he's gonna say, wondering what he's gonna have for them. And David says this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or in other words, what he's saying is, I have all that I need, or I lack nothing. When he says this, he has their attention because they lack a lot of things. In this moment, they're probably starving and they're running for their lives. And there's a lot of things that they wish that they had. There's a lot of things that they need. But David says, I have all that I need. I shall not want. But then he goes on to say, the Lord is my shepherd and he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When he's talking about this and he's saying this, he's speaking from a perspective of understanding the role of the shepherd and the sheep. He was a shepherd. He knew this role well. He knew what it meant to take care of his flock. And what David says in this moment, he says, God is the shepherd and I am the sheep. And if you know anything about sheep, this is not exactly like the the best pep talk because sheep are not the brightest, okay? It's not exactly like he came back to the fire and he's like, all right, guys, I got a nice pep talk for you. We're sheep. It's like, you could have gone with lions. You could have gone with anything else, something to encourage us up and pump us up for the day ahead. But he says, we're like sheep and God is our shepherd. 
It communicates dependence. It communicates that we have a need and he's the one that supplies it. He, he uses this idea that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. That it's, it's this picture that if a, if a shepherd was leading sheep, and a lot of times if you, if you knew this, the, the, where that they were in the context, there wasn't a lot of maybe green pastures everywhere they go. So if, if they finally found an area that they could, the sheep could eat, the sheep would just eat and eat and eat because they hadn't eaten in days. And so when he talks about this idea of making us lie down in green pastures, a sheep is only lying down in a green pasture if they're full, if they're satisfied, if they have everything that they need. And what he communicates is this idea, this picture of a green pasture that is actually restoring us, that's rejuvenating us, that's giving us the strength that we need for the day ahead. And there's this truth that we find in here that I think we apply to our lives, and it's this idea that when we yield to let God lead us, we have all that we need. We yield to let him lead us. We have all that we need. I've been distinguishing with my boys recently between wants and needs, and that's kind of a tough thing for a three and a five-year-old, okay? There are a lot of things that they think are needs that are not needs. Um, but it's this idea that we maybe, maybe don't have everything that we want, but it says that we would have all that we need for the journey of it, all that we need for where God has us right here and now. When we make the Lord our shepherd, he's our source. He's the one taking care of us, and we're learning to walk at his pace rather than our own as he's restoring our soul. And this was the invitation of Jesus. Jesus said in the gospel, he says, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you worn out? Come to me and I will give you rest. He said, are any of you thirsty? Come to me. Come to me if you're thirsty and I'll give you something to drink and you'll never be thirsty again. So why the invitation of scripture is those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because what it's doing is it's saying, come to him, trust him, yield to let him lead us. And we'll experience the life that he has. We'll experience the restoration that he's giving to us. There's this quote that I love from John Mark Comer, and I think I've shared it before, but it says this. It says that the whole point of apprenticeship or discipleship to Jesus, or in other words, yielding to let the shepherd lead us, is to model all of your life after Jesus. And in doing so, to recover your soul. To have the warped part of you put back into shape and to experience healing in the deepest part of your being. And for some of us, that, this is actually kind of what's brought us back to a relationship with Jesus. Maybe there's been something in your life that has led you to a place where you have felt like you have been bent out of shape by this world, bent out of shape by your experiences and your circumstances. And what brought you back to Jesus is a place where you're like, I can't do this on my own. I've got to come back and I'm looking for him to do something in my life that I could not do on my own. But this is what happens when we yield to him, when we let the good shepherd lead us we walk at his pace, we'll discover the restoration of the green pasture with him. Then David goes on in this psalm. But what he does here, and I want, to, want, want, to, want you to note through this, is that he shifts his perspective at this point in the psalm. At first, it's almost like he's reminiscing on his past and he's thinking back to these other moments and telling his men about this picture of God as a shepherd who's taking care of our needs. But then he gets to a point where he turns his focus away from reminiscing and almost back to his present reality. When he's talking about his present reality, he's not just talking about God in this way, but he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He acknowledges where he's at. He acknowledges what he's feeling and saying that I feel like everywhere I look around me, it's just darkness. Everywhere I look around me, I feel like somebody's after me. That This is one of the lower lows that I have felt in my life. But he responds to that. It says, I will, I will fear no evil. 
Why does he say that he will fear no evil? How does he have the kind of resolve to walk through something incredibly challenging and something incredibly hard and say, I will fear no evil? It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's the kicker. You are with me. Our situation says something. Our feelings say something. But our understanding of who our shepherd is says something louder. That it let our ears be attuned to the truth of God more than the truth of our feelings of our, or of our, of our circumstances. Because regardless of the valley, regardless of the shadows of death, regardless of how long we've been in it, he says that you are with me. No, I, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And we see this all throughout scripture. We see this reminder and this encouragement throughout the Bible. Joshua 1.9, this is encouragement to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We see this in Jesus' encouragement in John 16. I have told you this, that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We even see ideas of this in, in Paul's writing, even in, in, in the letter to the Philippians, where, where he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. Not peace that we, don't, we conjure up and make up our own, but his peace that we don't understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We need to understand this idea that even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, God is with us. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. But he's walking with you through the highs and through the lows. I got to see this on display in a big way this last week as uh, Bill Johnson, who is the pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California, uh, his wife passed away after, I think, a, a battle with cancer. And um, it's incredibly hard to watch this happen anytime you're watching somebody walk this battle out and watch this journey of losing someone that's so dear to them. Uh, but he got up a few days later and he shared with his church, three days after he, she passed, he, he got up in front of his church last Sunday and he shared. And uh, it was pretty remarkable to, to listen. I went back and listened to the message and to hear him talk about each step of this, talk about, and I feel like he just got up there with no notes and he basically just shared what was on his heart and share what he knew from experience. And he talked about things like, like what Jesus says in the Beatitudes, where blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. He, talks, he talked just about the faithfulness of God in his lifetime, the things he's seen God do and, and how God has not left him in, him in this moment. And he said something that really caught my attention that I wanted to share with you today. He said this. He said that there are aspects of his presence that you can only experience in the valley of the shadow of death. There are aspects of his presence that we will only experience in the valley of the shadow of death. And this, it's so true. Some things that we can maybe know or, or hear about, but when we experience it for ourselves, that we can know more deeply how God is with us. Look, look, at, look at, back at the passage, the, that change in perspective that we're talking about. That when he says that, when he's talking at the, at the beginning, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He directs my path. But when he gets to verse four, he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. It's personal at this point. 
At the point that he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, it has all of a sudden become very personal that it's not just God, he out there somewhere else, but you, God, are with me personally as I walk through this. Now, I believe it's meant to be personal for each of us. As I was reading this last week, uh, Heath Adamson, who, he's the author of Grace in the Valley, he asked this question that really kind of caught my attention. He says, what if the green pasture in the valley of the shadow of death are actually the same place? And the question didn't really make sense to me at first. I didn't really fully understand what he was saying with it because logistically, when I think about it, that I can tell you pretty clearly that life is made up of peaks and valleys and that there are, those moments have been very different for me in my life, that those green pastures and those valleys have felt very different but they're not the same. But as I continue to read and understand what he's saying, I kind of got this picture in my head. So we recently uh, took our boys to uh, Hibachi, which is a pretty incredible experience for two little boys. Um, it's an incredible experience for adults, okay? So <laughs> it's even better. For, well, I don't know about better for them. But they had two very different uh, like experiences with it. So they both had the same, they watched the same thing happens, but they, but they both had very different memories and experience of it. Judah, on one hand, loved it. He came back and he's been playing hibachi ever since, okay? He's like just banging things on the table and chunk, 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 like he's just like banging them like this and like saying all these different stuff of, of like, what do you want? Do you want to catch it in your mouth? Like he's like, he's doing all of it, okay? And so he's doing that where on the other hand, Isaiah is now terrified of fire altogether, okay? He's like, I, if, if the grill is on, if, if you're cooking on the stove, he's not even going close because he was terrified by it. And I've thought about this and I've thought about why they had such different reactions to this. And when I really think about it, I think I remember Judah was sitting right next to me as this was all happening. That as he lit the oil on, the, on here on fire, that he, Judah jumped to me a little bit and I, and I had him. And it was scary, yeah, but, but he was still pretty excited by it. Isaiah, on the other hand, was being an independent three-nager who wanted to sit by himself and not be close to anybody. And now, so when the fire goes off, he's alone and he's got nobody. And now all of a sudden he's terrified of it. And so I really got me thinking about this. And this is kind of the idea that I, I've been processing is that what if the pasture in the valley were less about the circumstance and more about who you were with? What if it was less about the circumstance in front of you and more about who you were walking through that circumstance with? See, my personality type is very positive. I, uh, I tend to see the silver lining and everything, and I'm, I'm very good at reframing things in my mind. If something goes wrong, I t tend to reframe it. So, well, you know, we can make this into a good thing or this, because I can see how this is going to lead to something good. And most of the time, I, I feel that that's actually a gift and that I, it's a good thing. Um, but as I've noticed, as I've walked through other things in life, that it's kind of other times been my way of ignoring things or running from, from feeling things. And the only way that the valley of the shadow of death and the green pasture are the same place is, for the, is when the shepherd walks through it with us, not when we do it on our own. Last year uh, is when Abby and I started to try and have uh, another kid. And we were talking about it and we were ready and it was about six months of trying before we finally got pregnant. And in those six months, we kind of walked through these, these ups and downs of it. There was, there's moments where it's like, that the first month goes by and you're not pregnant and you're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll try again. And, and, and then it kind of goes, and, and the waves of disappointment were kind of 
up and down. And it's like, you're fine. And then it would, some would hurt more than others. Or you would have your expectations up more. And, and I, I remember it was later in uh, last year when we finally found out that we were pregnant. And it was like, it, it made that moment sweeter, right? It made that moment sweeter that we had, we'd had these disappointments. And now all of a sudden, wow, we were pregnant. And so shortly after that, when Abby lost the baby, it became exponentially more devastating. That we're waiting and we're trying and all of a sudden we've just lost the baby. This is the first time we've experienced this. And um, I remember in the moment uh, just really being very aware of being there for Abby. Being there to comfort her and just to hold her. And, um, and I think there's a part of me that's like keep it, keep it really strong, keep it together. But it, I think the other part of me was really just trying to turn this valley into a pasture. It's me trying to say, like, it's going to be all right. This, this is, I, I understand better our friends that have walked through this now. Or, and even, it's crazy how, even in my mind, it's, it goes to the place of, like, man, even as a pastor, now I can understand grief that people are walking through better as I walk through this. But really, it's, it's just me trying to reframe this grief in my life into something that's, that's not hard. But what I found is that when we talk about this idea that the shepherd doesn't turn, turn his back on the valleys of our life, but he walks with us through them. As Abby and I talked about this this week, Abby just kind of remarked on how I, I cannot believe how true it is that I've experienced greater depths of the presence of the Lord through that than I ever had in any green pasture or anything else. And Heath Adamson in the book, he, he says this. He says, what you listen to most is where you receive your comfort. David said God's rod and his staff comforted him. And I think that it's so true. That the things that, even, whether that's our self-talk, or whether that's the things that we're listening to, that what he's was saying here is that the voices that we're listening to are what's going to bring us comfort. And to understand the rod and the staff, they make a lot more sense in, in David's context than our own. They're both tools of a shepherd and uh, both had a ton of meaning for him. But the, the rod would have been in the shorter, it's almost like a stick or a club that would have been used for defending the sheep or correcting the sheep. And it, so it had this role of defense. defense. Um, but then the, the staff, which was kind of what we see when we think more of the, the walking stick that they, they would have had. We see this, and it has multiple purposes. It has purposes of like walking, yes, but it also would have been to guide them and direct them to certain things. It would have been if they'd fallen in a pit to use that staff to reach in and pull them out. But there's also this other meaning that I found very significant as I researched this, that a shepherd would actually mark their staff with different milestones in their life in different moments. They would scratch into their staff these, these moments. And Bible scholars believe that David would have actually scratched into his staff as a shepherd certain moments that we read about in the Bible. Like the moments where David fought a bear or a lion. Like he would have scratched that into his staff to say, there's a moment that I remember very clearly. That when Samuel came and anointed him the next king of Israel, that's a moment that David would have marked into his staff so that later in other moments that you would sit and you would look, be able to look at that and be able to recount the memories of how God has been faithful. That as you sit around with other shepherds, you could tell the stories of God's faithfulness of how he has shown up over and over again. And I think that that's what this is meant to do. We're meant, meant to be reminded that he is with us in these moments. Reminded that of, to look back at the stories of God's faithfulness, that just when we're, when we're in the valley, we're not all of a sudden gonna give up on him being faithful, but we're gonna lean in even further and remind ourselves of that. 
Because look at this. When you look at this passage, he talks about the fact that we'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I just have to point out, and I just, I, I feel like that this came to encourage somebody today, that these are shadows. They're shadows of death. And shadows are an evidence of light. No matter how dark it is, it is an evidence that there is light somewhere in there. And when we're talking about this, we're looking at this idea that we can see everything around us. We can see the way it's affecting us. But beyond that, if we look further, we can recognize that there is light in there. And Jesus is known as the light of the world right? He's known as the light that's walking with us, that's shining in our lives. And so I believe that we can walk confidently saying that there's no better place to understand him, understand how strong and how powerful and how mighty he really is than when we're walking in the valley. He is with us in the valley and there's no better place to understand or note that than recognizing he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. As we close today, would you just stand to your feet? I want to give a just a few minutes to respond. And uh, it's a big passage of scripture. There's a lot of things I want to say today in this. <laughs> so, uh, but if you're, I guess I'll give you this before we go. If you're here and you're, you're a very practical person and you're like always waiting for, hey, how can I apply this to my life this week? Uh, I, this is, I heard this recently that we touch our phones approximately 2,617 times a day. I know that's incredibly specific, but it's approximately somewhere in there. It's kind of, it's kind of the worst to hear that. Uh, but somebody said to me, they said, what if every time you touched your phone, you just recited to yourself, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And um, I'd, never, I'd never be able to do that every time, but it definitely got into my head a lot more when I thought about it in that way. Um, so start with that. But where I really wanted to close today was, was with this idea that um, we're talking about how God is a good shepherd. And, and Jesus in John chapter 10 describes himself that way. He says, I am the good shepherd. And I want to call us back to where we started today. That Lord, would you help us to be attuned to your voice? Would you let us be recognizing the leading of your voice in our life? And Jesus in John 10 says this. He says that the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. And I believe that this is the call of today, of saying that as we look to say, Lord, would you lead me in my life? Lord, let us be attuned to your voice, to understand your voice, so that in all the noise of our life and all the things, that, all the messaging that everyone is saying us, that your voice would be the loudest, that your direction would be, would be guiding us and leading us to green pastures, leading us to restoration, leading us back to you. Because the reality of it is this. Jesus loves you very dearly. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He is walking with you through these valleys of your life. He is taking care of you in the presence of your enemies. And today, as we desire to follow him more fully, as we desire to let go of things and, and not trust our own instincts and our own abilities, but to trust him and rely on him, I believe the call is, Lord, would you just help me to be attuned to your voice? So our prayer teams are going to be down front uh, for these next few minutes. And I just want to give a minute just for you to, just to respond. In your own words and in your own time, just begin to tell the Lord, Lord, would you help me to be attuned to your voice, to your leading? And as we do that, he's going to direct our steps. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you today. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that we can come under the authority of that and let that encourage us. Let that build us up. 
Lord, I pray that today as we look at your word and we, we look at, at, at the way that you comfort us through this, Lord, I pray that you would just leave us full of your presence, full of your spirit. I pray that you would encourage those that are in valleys right now, encourage those that are walking through it, remind them that you are with them, that you have not left them. And we give it all to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship for just a minute.